Well, I am anticipating some wonderful impartation from John and Karen. You both are a power team. I know he does all the speaking, but you were prophesying over me last night too, and you guys just messed me up in my living room in front of my kids, which was fine. I mean, I didn't, I didn't need the tissues, but, but it was close. I've got a pretty strong reflex there to pull myself together. So yeah, you know, um, these guys just have blessed us. You guys have really blessed us. Just your, what you carry, your grace, your revelation of the Father's heart, your understanding of the mercy and the, the blessings and the promises of God. I mean, who was here last time back on Cinco de Mayo when these guys were here? Yeah, about half of you. Well, if you weren't here, you know, you missed out on the bright colored rainbow umbrella which represented God's promises and his blessings. And John chased a couple people as Forrest and Judah. I think he's chasing you around. That's just the heart of the father is to pursue. He's always in pursuit of us. And then that prodigal son story, poor Tristan, though he was the victim of (laughs) just when you come to the father with all of your excuses and all of your apologies, he just stops you right where you're at. And so now we're just, I, I sent John a message probably three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago. And I was like, so when are you going to do part two of your message? And he had just said, well, I just finished part two in Texas. And when do you want me to come up? So the timing was right. It just seemed like God, you know, he's you know, Jehovah sneaky. He just drops a little hint on your, on your spirit and you send a text and boom, here you are. So why don't you guys come on up? I don't know if you're both going to come. You're going to stay? Okay. Sure you don't want to prophesy? Hallelujah. Give her a chance. Hallelujah. You know, I was in uh, Hole-in-Wall, Texas a few weeks ago. Anybody ever been to Hole-in-Wall? They call it Hole-in-the-Wall if you're from there. And uh, it's outside of Nashville. And it was a town that was settled by some German settlers. And uh, I was at a... At a wonderful church there, and it was before the service, like this morning, I was kind of moving around and greeting people and getting acquainted a little bit, and I went up to this young woman, she was sitting by herself um, over on a seat, and I, I put my hand down to shake her hand, I said, hi, my name is John, um, what's your name? She says, my name is Amy, and I go, well, hi, Amy, I'm a visitor here today, she goes, me too, and I said, um, Amy, what do you do here? And she goes, I do nothing. And I said, have you always just done nothing? She said, I was a caregiver for my boyfriend, but he died. And I said, well, Amy, what would you like to do with your life? And she goes, I don't know. I said, would you like to be a caregiver for somebody else? And she goes, I can't get a job because of my past. So I said, Amy, would it be all right if I just talk to your father in heaven about you and see what he has for you today? She goes, okay. So I just put my hand on her shoulder and I began to talk to the father. Immediately, the father spoke and he said, on earth, she's known as Amy, but in heaven, she is known as April. Because April is the month when I send spring. And April, my daughter, is made for the new things, not the past things. 
Do you hear the difference between the Father's view of April and and the world's view of April? And so I, I said, April, your father just said that in, I'm sorry, Amy, um, you know, the father just said that in heaven, you're known to everybody in heaven as April because you were made for the spring. You were made to bring new things um, to life. And she finally just smiled at me and I just prayed over her and went off to the service. So when I got to preach like I'm doing now, I, I said, I, I would really like to introduce all of you to my new friend that I met this morning. Um, her name is April, and I indicated her. And all the people that just said, no, her name is Amy. I said, well, I was talking to her Heavenly Father who told me her name in heaven is April. So why don't you greet her this morning? So everybody's just going, hi, April, hi, April. And uh, they, had, uh, they had a barbecue of Tennessee barbecue after church that day. And by the time I left there, she was smiling, her eyes were alive, and everybody was calling her April. You see, God's love is bigger than you can dream. Bigger than you can dream. One of the challenges that we have with God's love is we think that God loves like we love. How many moms do we have here in the room? Moms. Okay, mom's love is probably the best expression of human love. Moms do love better than anybody else, but every one of you as mom, define your love based upon what you need to do to keep your child safe. Don't play in the street. Don't touch the stove. Don't play in the mud puddle. So your love as the mom, and that's the best human love that there is, your mom's love is always defined by a boundary. Stay within the boundary. You're going to be safe. I'm going to feel good about being a mom, and my love is going to work. When a child then steps outside of the boundary, by the way, we do the same thing in marriage. The first thing we do when we get married is we make a covenant. We draw a boundary so that we can be safe and secure within the covenant of marriage. That is the very best human love can ever experience. So we think that when we sing about God's love or we experience God's love, we think that God loves exactly the same way. I'll love you as long as you stay within the boundary that I set. If you go outside the boundary, we might have a problem here. But God's love has no boundary. God is love. So God expresses his love by being who he is, not by drawing a boundary to keep you safe. Um, recently, I mean, well, no, it's actually been about two, more than two and a half years ago, a pastor friend of ours um, had been having an affair for four and a half years with a woman in his church. And suddenly he got found out. And Karen and I got called to their home that afternoon. And it was like going to their home was like going to a home where somebody's died and the body is still in the back bedroom. It was just horrible to go. And we just went there to love on them and to minister the love of God to them. And in the process, we, we went over to lay hands on them and, and just pray over them. And, and uh, immediately, the wife began to weep. She was just 
uncontrollably weeping and saying, why didn't God stop him? Why didn't God stop him? Why didn't God prevent him from doing that? I've lost everything because God wouldn't stop him. Why wouldn't God stop him? Just crying and crying and carrying on. I wanted to comfort her. Karen wanted to comfort her. And immediately the Lord said, tell her that I am not the God of prevention. I am the God of redemption. You see, moms, the love that you give to your children, you have to draw a boundary of your love because you can't redeem everything that they can do. Do you understand? Now, I'm not putting that down. That is super human love. But the minute we label God with that kind of love, we make God small. Are you receiving this word? We make God small because we're saying you have limits on your love. And he's saying, no, I don't have to put a limit on love because I can redeem anything. Now, in that moment, I'm here to tell you that did not bring her comfort. Because she wanted a God who would prevent things. But you see, if, if you go play on the freeway, God can redeem what can happen to you on the freeway. So he does not have to put a boundary on his love. Can anybody go, wow? Wow. See, and I want to start out with that today because we're going to end up talking about his love. But I don't want you to make his love too small because you make it like human love. So if you're here today and you're looking for the love of God to touch you, just remember anything that you can do, he can redeem. Anything that can happen to you, he can redeem. So therefore, wherever you go, his love extends. Did we make, did we, did we, did we do good? Okay, let's go. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I have more for us today because I want, I want to actually bring this um, to bear. In, in, um, um, in, the, in the passage that we opened with today um, from um, John 1.12, um, it says there, but as many that receive him, to them he gave the right or some that uses the term power, and it really is because there is a royal edict on your behalf, you have the right to become a child of God. Now, the interesting thing about a right is a right has to be exercised. And the, the, the terminology is, if you brought Bibles with you today, why don't you go with me to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. In Galatians chapter 4, um, um, it, he says, and this is from the New Living Translation, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. The last song that we were, you were worshiping in, talking about, he, you brought me out of my Egypt to bring me into my promise. There is a stop along the way in being brought out of Egypt and into the promise. 
And that's referred to here in, in this Galatians 4 passage that we have to become adopted as his children. You see, it's not any longer moving us from a place of sin to a place of holiness. It is moving us from the bondage of the law and the rules of the law into being part of his family. And so if we're going to walk in the fullness of our rights and the fullness of our privileges, we must be adopted. Now, here's the issue. You can only adopt a child. Anybody, is anybody here adopted? Okay. We got one person back here. If you have a, anybody adopted any, a child? Okay. So we have somebody who's adopted a child and we have somebody who has been adopted. In order to be adopted, the child that you're going to adopt has to have no father legally. The father's rights have to either be terminated or there is no father in the pictures or another father cannot adopt. So legally, if we are going to become the sons of God, we have to no longer be sons of Adam. You cannot be a son of Adam and a son of God. You cannot have identity from two families. Or you cannot be adopted. So in the courts of heaven, and we, won't, we, we can't teach on the courts of heaven this morning, but in the courts of heaven, there is a time when God puts on his judge's garments and sits on the judgment seat in the court of heaven. And there was a time in the age past where God was sitting on the throne on, on the on the judge's seat in heaven, and Adam was standing before him, and God the Father severed Adam's parental rights to us. Uh, that ought to elicit some kind of a woo. You see, because too, so many of us have grown up in churches with the reminder all the time that we are sons and daughters of Adam. No, you're not. If you have come to faith, and we'll talk about this in another verse, if you come to faith in Jesus Christ and you have exercised your right to become adopted, then your identity is no longer attached to your flesh. And we have spent so much effort trying to make our flesh identity work when the rights of, the, of, 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 of Adam to that has been severed. And, 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 and go over to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. And I'm, I'm picking this up right in the midst of verse 4 there. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, that's really important. What is your name? Leslie. Leslie, before God said... Let there be light in Genesis chapter 1. He'd already formed you in his heart. He made everything about you in his heart before time. That's what that just said. Before time, lustily got formed in the heart of the Father. And in just the right time, that was in the earlier verse of Galatians, at just the right time, he got a man and a woman to form you. Exactly as you were made in his heart. And, and, and when he formed you onto the earth, you came into the line of Adam because you became living flesh. And so he severed 
Adam's father writes to you so that he could redeem you as the child that you were before time in his heart. Did anybody get that? That's a game changer for so many of us who have spent our whole life trying to overcome the Adam identity in our flesh. See, and redemption means that he brings you back and restores you to who you were in his heart before time. In this exactly lesson, in exactly the same way, you might you might go to the junk store and buy an old antique and restore it to its original. That's what he does for us in salvation. Salvation, that song is awesome. Salvation isn't just getting us out of Egypt, but it's getting us into his family so that we can become who he made us to be originally. You guys are just kind of passively doing this thing today. That's amazing. And we're living in a season and time in history where God is making that a reality. So just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, Leslie, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So that means part of your identity is to be holy and blameless before God. He made you to be holy and blameless. Now, how can, he, how can we be holy and blameless when we did all these dumb things? Maybe you didn't, but I did. All these dumb things. It's because you did those dumb things in your Adam flesh. But that's not you. You see, so you can be holy and blameless because your flesh doesn't matter. It doesn't get saved. It doesn't get redeemed. It's still there because, there, and, and, and we'll talk about that reason here. In a it goes on and it says, for he, having predestined us unto adoption. Not just getting us out, but bringing us into who he made us to be. So he predestined, he planned to adopt you before time. That's right. Woo! Now we're getting into this. Um, adopt us by, uh, as sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us acceptable in the beloved. So he did it because it pleased him to do it before time. And, and he did it through Jesus because it pleased him to do it before time. But it says, if anybody has the verse in front of you, you'll notice this about it. The verse, uh, verse 6 ends by, by which he made us acceptable in the beloved. If you have been adopted into the family of God, you now have the last name beloved. If God had a last name God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the last name would be beloved. Do you notice in the text that it's capitalized? The word beloved is a proper name. That just gives me shivers up my... Woo! So, 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 I really ought to go and, and get beloved to add to my official signature. John, Gabriel, Carney, Slash beloved. We all ought to. If we have been adopted, then we are part of the beloved. Karen and I were down in Texas. I'm not going to do this this way. Karen and I were down in Texas just a few weeks ago, and I, and, and, uh, I called the pastor up, and I told the, the, the people that this was God the Father today, and he's a big, tall African man 
called up their son, who's about 35 or so, and said, this is his son, and today he's the Jesus, the son of the beloved family. And then I called his wife up, and, and she's an African lady with long, black, curly, flowing hair, and I said, and this is the Holy Spirit of the beloved family. So we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit of the beloved family. And then there was, in the back row, there was a young man sitting back there trying to not be seen because he was a teenager and uh, had his shorts and flip-flops and all that on it. So I walked back to him, and I took the Holy Spirit with me, and I asked the young man, I said, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? He goes, yes. I said, and have you invited him to be your Savior? And he goes, yes. I said, so now the Holy Spirit is going to take you by the hand and bring you up so that you can be adopted into the family of the beloved. So here's this little white kid up there with, uh, with, with of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit of the beloved family. And they welcome him in. And the pastor takes off his coat and he puts the coat on this guy. And I just noticed that, that this young man had blonde hair and it was curly. It was about the length of yours, about curled like yours. And I looked and I said, look, he's already looking like the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we are this morning. That's what that worship was about. Those songs have power because it's declaring our identity. Um, and and, and um, the, 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 um, uh, our, the, the and, and, and so um, Romans 8, let, I'm, I'm trying to go on here. Romans 8, well, let's skip over that because I've got some other stuff I want to do with us today. Romans um, um, 8.23 says, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even, our, even ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly awaiting adoption, the redemption of our flesh. So here's what happens. Your soul, now soul is who you are. Soul means identity. They're the, they're the same word. You, who you are as soul, who you were formed to be in the Father's heart before time, along with your spirit in union with the Holy Spirit, are just entwined together and adopted. But your flesh was not redeemed and it was not adopted. So that's why at times you groan, uh, why is it so hard to get out of bed in the morning? <laughs> and we groan about... Oh, man, it is so hard to control my diet. Oh. Right? It says right there in Romans, we do that because our flesh does not benefit from our adoption yet. And, it, and so when we keep drawing again and again our identity from our flesh... We are robbing ourselves of our adoption. But when we begin to say, I am who God says that I am, I am a part of my adopted family, it must be terrible to be adopted into a family and you can never integrate into that family. That must be so painful because you have no other family and it leaves us familyless. So... I, I asked a church recently where I was, I said, so what does it take to get adopted? How do you exercise your legal right to be adopted? 
because because that text that that pastor read at the beginning um, um, uh, said it, it said if we if we if we believe we gain the right to become the child of God. So what do you have to do to be adopted? Does anybody know? What does it take on our part to respond to the legal right that we have to be adopted? Hmm? We don't even have to ask. It's already there. You don't have to ask for a right. You have to, you have to believe that you have the right, first of all. And then what do you have to do? If you have, somebody says, you have the right to own that property, what do you have to do? And possess it, right? You have to act and begin to possess what is your right. Now, it says that to be adopted means we gain all the rights, the privileges, the benefits, and the identity of the family that adopts us. So if I were to ask you the question, as an adopted son or daughter of the beloved family, what privileges do you possess? Anybody want to name one, two, three, four, or five of them? Access to the Father. That's one. How about a second one? Somebody else, another one. Access to the Holy Spirit. That's part of the same thing. We got a full meal deal. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're part of the family invited to be a part. What else? To carry the name. Exactly right. And isn't it interesting that when we started this morning, few of us, if any, knew what our name was. Beloved. What else? Another. Give me another... Another uh, privilege or right that we have to sit at the right hand. And, and how often do we take advantage of that right? How practiced are we at sitting in the council of the family? The, the, the Bible says that, that God made a new covenant with you and me and you and you and you and you. He made a new covenant with us based on better promises than the promises that Abraham knew and experienced. Okay, so tell me one of the promises that you have that Abraham didn't have. That you, we can pray for somebody to be healed. Well, Abraham was able to pray to God and a whole city could have gotten saved. So that's the same privilege. That's the same Kind of a promise. But the scripture is so clear. I made a new covenant with you based on better promises. Now, I'm not trying to shame us this morning. I'm trying to make a point. If we are, if we are, if we are adopted, shouldn't we be shouting from the rooftop? What are those rights that are those, those promises that we have that Abraham and the people the, the sons of Abraham didn't have. But we don't because in large measure, all the theology that we've grown up with is designed to deal with our flesh somehow being better flesh rather than setting aside the flesh, taking our identity out of our soul entwined with the Holy Spirit in the family of the beloved. 
And this is the work that God wants to do in this church, in your lives today. He wants to begin to draw you in a new way into the adoption into the beloved. Not only will that change your life, but it will change the life of every person who comes through the door. Because you'll be able to see who they are in your family. Oh, that's my cousin Vinny coming today. God, God, I've been praying for this guy. I didn't even know Vinny, but now I see him when he comes through the door. And let me, let, me, let me introduce him to the family and to himself, who he is in the family. You see, because Cousin Vinny is still believing that he is who the flesh says that he is. See, I met you before the service, and I know you're a visitor here for the first time today, so I want to just... I just want to treat you with a little bit of love for a minute, if I could. Um, you hugged me when I came over there, and so I know you're a woman that um, is designed for love. So just love on you for a minute. You know, you've been um, running away from pain for a long time. And you have defined yourself and your life and even the gifts of God to you when he's treated you with kindness and love and provision in immeasurable ways. You've always seen that as him providing for you running away from pain. And he said, you were sold a lie. You have always been running towards finding yourself. Not running away from the past, but running into finding yourself. And he said that you are like the story of the woman who washed Jesus' feet with his hair. And I noticed this morning when I met you that you have hair long enough you could wash somebody's feet with the hair. He said, you see, because he says in the story, well, she's washing his feet with the hair and all of her customers are sitting at the dining room table. And I'm not saying that about you. I'm, um, but sitting at the dining room table and he says to them, she was made for this. Well, you were made to be a lover. Yet you've hardly ever experienced it because you haven't found you the lover yet. So he brought you today so that I could say to you that he made you for love. Your heart is still intact. Your heart is not a damaged heart. That's a lie that you have to keep running and running and running away from your past. He said, no, no, she's running into me. She's running. Can you imagine all the rest of us? Can you imagine the courage it took for that woman to come to her customers' houses who knew all about her, who had used her, crawl down under that table simply to wash Jesus' feet and him say, she was made for this. Every guy that had ever slept with her knew she was made for love. Do you see the difference? It changed. Just his word of who she is changes. That's the reality. And so when Uncle Vinny comes to church and you get to greet him and say, Uncle Vinny, this is who you are in our family. That'll change the way evangelism is done. That way everything's, but you can't do that unless you are walking in your identity 
that was formed in the heart of the Father before time. You are an amazingly blessed daughter of a Father who deeply, deeply loves you. And he knows that he made you to be a lover so that the people that you touch will meet his love. Not conditioned, but unconditioned. You should turn around and look at her. She's smiling like, man. Does, does that help anybody here today? See, and that is the privilege that has been granted to every single one of us from the youngest all the way up to, to, the, to, 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 to the oldest. See, and, 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 and so that, that accepts it. See, it says, it, Jesus said to him, he said, little children, I have given you the keys to my kingdom. He's our dad. And the fact that we can sit here on a day like today, worship the way that we worship, and have little or no understanding and little or no passion for who we are tells us the condition of where we are today. Tells us that there's some work that he wants to do in our lives in this whole area of adoption. Does anybody else get that this morning? See, and, and, and which, which shifts me over, I, I'm, I'm moving really quickly here this morning, but you're getting this. I can see it. I'm watching it happen. When I was in, in, in Hohenwolf, uh, um, I was taking a shower. I was staying at some people's house while I was there. And I was taking a shower on Sunday morning before I go to church. I was telling Scott a little bit about this last night. And uh, so I'm in the shower, just soaping up and shampooing up. And God came and visited me in the shower. I mean... That's a little uh, awkward, uh, but he showed up and and uh, he asked me he asked me a question. He said he said, um, "Do you know what James one fourteen says?" And I go, "Oh, thank you. I know the answer to this one. Yes, I do know what James one fourteen says because I'm going to preach on it this morning." And he goes, "Yes, yes, you are." But your context of your understanding is wrong. Whoa, I'm in the shower trapped. Can't go anywhere and God's telling me I'm wrong. And, and so let me read to you what James 1.14 says. James 1.14 says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when your desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So he asked me this question, did I create desire, or did the devil create desire? Now, that's kind of an interesting question like that verse, because it says, when temptation shows up, temptation is appealing to my desire. And if I yield to the temptation, sin is birth, and sin gives birth, sin is conceived, and then gives birth to death. So one could logically say, well, the devil must have come up with desire. But I thought about it for a minute, um, um, and I said, well, I don't think you ever gave the devil creative ability. So he could only copy and counterfeit things that you've already done. 
And it was like, good answer, son. He said, I created desire. So let's, let's draw this out. Let's throw this out here. When he made you in his heart before time, when he formed you, he knew your identity. He knew who you were from everybody else. And he put in you desires that were consistent with who you are. Because what desires do, desire is what propels us forwards towards something. That's why when we see temptation with our desire, the desire propels us towards the temptation. Everybody's experienced that before, right? That's not, I don't have to teach you about how that works. We all know how that works. And so he said what the church has done over centuries is that they have taught my people to turn down their desires so they will not be as vulnerable to temptation. Now, can we all understand that or do I have to explain that more? Turn down the desire. See, I grew up in a church where we couldn't dance. Because they knew that our desires would lead us to sin if we danced. So no dancing, turn down the desire to dance. Well, it said that, that when we have taught people to turn down their desire to defend themselves against temptation, what we're asking them to do is to deny their identity. Did anybody follow that? Because the desire is consistent with Leslie's identity. So, so because he wants her to be moved forward into who she is, and desire does that. See? And, 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 and my sister here next to her is Greek. She can't help but have strong desires. Not only is it in her spiritual DNA, it's in her physical DNA. Yeah. You see, and so, and so what has happened to us, and the reason so many of you are feeling ambivalent about this morning, and you're responding to the message with kind of an attitude, not a bad attitude, but an attitude like, I think I'll go home and contemplate this for a while. I'll take this home and I'll take it under advisement. If it, if it seems right to me, maybe we'll have John and Karen back again. <laughs> Rather than going, whoo, this is like fresh manna that just fell out of heaven. I am a daughter of the beloved family, and I am, I am, I am taking hold of the promise that God made to me. Because we've turned desire down. Then he said to me in the shower, I'm still in the shower. This is a long shower. So he says to me in the shower um, that, 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 that um, um, so, so why doesn't my church counter-program to the devil's temptation? If the devil's going to offer somebody an answer to their desire... Why doesn't the church offer an alternative option 
so that they have something to choose besides the temptation. Has anybody ever thought of that one before? I wasn't prepared for that question. I just thought temptation was temptation. It's the job that what the devil does. That's what he gets paid to do, um, is, to is to tempt. And, that, and I had never actually thought about the, uh, um, 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 a, a person like our sister over here who desires to love. What are the church counter-programming to the options that the world offers her for love. Do you all get that? You see, so the world comes to somebody, appeals to their desire, they yield that temptation, and then we damn them for it. Did I just mess and jump off the edge? We damn them for what we have never offered them another option for. Now, I could feel in the shower, I know you just came in, I'm talking about an encounter with God in the shower, but I, I am going on in this shower with it, and I am now feeling like he is announcing to me something that is so holy that I really better be clean to receive it. <laughs> because can you imagine a church that could offer our non-family member, their adoption, and alternatives to the enemy's offer for fulfilling the desires of their heart. That would, that's a game changer. Do you, do you get that? Whether you're a young person or, or a, a young married couple or old like me, that's a game changer in our life if we will walk in it. That's what redemption is, is, is Leslie get restored to who she is, not to cancel out her desires, not to let the pain of the damage that has gone on by the, by the, uh, the, the, the temptations to which she's yielded to find fulfillment in the past define her anymore. That's what the church is about. We're an adoption agency. But we don't know the first thing hardly about adopting. You see, because I'm going to finish up here in just a minute and stuff. But, but we, 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 we are still functioning as if we were Moses. You see, Moses, over his objection and over all of his fears that I'm not good enough to do this job, he got the people out of Egypt. That's what evangelists have been doing for a long time. Gets people out of Egypt. And then he cared for them. He pastored them in the wilderness. And, 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 and you who are church leaders have spent the bulk of your career as church leaders taking care of wilderness dwellers. We got them out. And we're doing the, the best darn job, I could use a stronger word than that, that possible to take care of them in the wilderness. But they were never meant to live in the wilderness. They were meant for the promise. Just like 
Let's lose meant to walk in the fullness of the promises better than Abraham that God made for her. Amen. Am I helping anybody today? You see? And so, so that actually redefines, Pastor, the church. That is not the same church that you've been pastoring. That is a very different church. For you church leaders, that is not the same kind of church that you've been leading. Because, because he's saying, I'm looking for people. I am looking for, for my sons and daughters who will let me take off their, their, their Moses mantle and put a Joshua mantle on them. It's that different. Moses was not able to bring them in. And the church is not able to bring people into their adoption. You guys are a great church. I love coming here because I, can, I, I feel your spirit and, and, and your young people as you're, you're coming up. I feel the destinies and the things that you have. Talking to you before the service day was just so much fun for me. That was so cool. But without embracing adoption and learning to live in your adoption, you, I'll come back next year and everything will be the same. Good people struggling with an identity locked in the flesh, trying to serve God. Always living with disappointment more than delight. And so he sent me here to this church today, to you, to invite you into a new era of church. A new way of understanding and seeing yourself begins with you embracing who he made you to be in his heart before time. We were talking about this before the service, weren't we? This very thing. You might have to have a job of an HVAC guy, but that's not who you are. You, and, and, the, and the journey that brought you out here is a journey that was driven, same as hers, You've been trying since you were a young boy to find yourself. I told him a story. It was the same story I told you last night. But I told him the story that back there, Hollenwolf had a big effect on me. But uh, in Hollenwolf, I, I, I saw this guy, and he was sitting back in the church about right where you are sitting. And he always looked down and frowned and would not ever connect to anybody. So I stopped teaching, just like I would stop right now, and I walk back to him, and I stuck my hand out to shake his hand, just like this. And he looks up, and so as soon as he looks me in the eye, I said to this young man, I said, so, when you were a little boy, you had an imaginary friend, didn't you? Now, I had everybody's attention in the church at that point, because you don't talk about imaginary friends in church. And everybody's looking at me like, what is he going to do in church? And without missing a beat, the young man looked at me and he said, why, yes, yes, I did have an imaginary friend. His name was Robert. And the people told me that I had to kill him because it wasn't all right to have an imaginary friend. So I had him run over by a station wagon. <laughs> I said, a station wagon? He goes, yes, one of those big, long, nine-passenger station wagons. And, and... And, and, and I said, and then after that, they labeled you, didn't they? And he goes, 
Whoa, yeah, they did. They gave me this label of ADHD and dumb duty and do do da da. And he listed them all off. And I said to him, and you have lived up to every one of those labels, haven't you? Some of you have lived up to the labels. You've let the labels identify you. And, uh, and by this time, I thought the congregation was going to go over the edge. I mean, this was a little out of their comfort zone. Um, and, and so I, I, I said to him, you know, there was a guy in the Bible like you. There was. Well, before I tell you who it was, this, this young man turned out to be 45 years old. He's been homeless his entire life. He's never had a home of his own, never lived on his own. He was in church that day because he was living in a shed on a farm of one of the men in the church who brought him to church that day. But he had grown up in Hohenwald, so everybody there knew him for 45 years. They knew his story. And so sitting in the middle of this church, his story unfolds. So I said, yeah, there was a guy in the Bible who was like you. I said, except he didn't, he didn't see things that nobody else saw, but he heard things that nobody else saw. His name was Samuel. He goes, really? I said, yeah. I said, see, nobody had, the Bible says that nobody had yet taught Samuel to know the voice of the Lord. And I said, nobody has yet taught you to understand the things that you were made to see that nobody else sees. I just spoke his identity that was in the Father's heart for him before time. Does anybody understand my story? Because you may have elements of that story in your story. You've been believing all this time and trying to measure up to being somebody that you were never designed to be. Because nobody has ever told you that you have an identity different than what the world has placed on you. Wouldn't it be great to have a church that for every single person that would come through the door, you could tell them who they are in the heart of the Father? This is why if you have any kind of prophetic calling on your life, this is your season. Because prophets listen to the Father's heart and speak and minister to the Father's children what is in the Father's heart. See? So, so, so it changed me that day. It changed that young man. It changed the church. And I'm believing that today will change all of us as well. That's what's in my heart. And so I've been making light of you all morning using you. Thank you so much. Leslie, right? Leslie, I love that name. That's one of my favorite ladies' names is Leslie. And Leslie, um, God made you to be a woman that can be trusted. And there are people that would trust you in an instant if you began to speak to them what was of the Father. You wouldn't have to earn their trust. He has made you in who you are in him to be a trustworthy woman. And there are some people in your past that you have really bad memories of 
that have broken their relationship with you because they were not prepared to have a relationship with somebody like you. They preferred to be deceived than to walk in the truth that you represented. And, um, and so I know that there's pain in those losses of the relationships um, and, uh, and that you have asked yourself again and again and again, what could I have done different? And the only thing the Father will say to you is just be you. Just be who I made you. Continue to find who you are. Do you understand? Yes. See this, I'm, I'm going to, I know I've gone a little long, long here, but I'm going to, and I'm going to stop. But um, recently, for a long time, there's a little piece of paper folded up here. It's right, right. No, it's the other one. There's another one that's like this one right here. For a long time, um, I have been teaching and searching for identity to help people to understand who we are. And, um, and so um, I was sharing with um, the family last night that for a long time, I've gone around the world and, and said that um, I'm a beloved man of God. A good place to start with your identity is what's your name. My name is John Gabriel. John means beloved. Gabriel means man of God. I'm a beloved man of God. Sent to serve the kingdom of God as a seer and a seed planter. To turn the heart of the bride to the bridegroom. That's who I have declared myself to be. That's who I learned that I am in the Father's heart. Says before time, like you have always been designed to be trusted, to be trustworthy. And uh, recently at my house, a month ago last night, we had some people at our house, and I was talking about this, and, and one of the guys, no, I said to the, the, them, I said, you know, you, the problem that I've got is I can't lead you into your identity any further than I'm willing to go in mine. I can't point and say, hey, hey, go find your identity in God. I have to be able to take you into that place. That's how family works, doesn't it? Let me introduce you to how the family works. Let me introduce you to your place in the family. So, and I said, and, and, and I have a shortcoming in my identity because um, I've always known in my identity that I walk in the same spirit that John the Baptist did. But I've never been willing to declare that because John the Baptist got his head cut off. And I am not designed for blood. I see some of you understand my dilemma. I'm just not cut out for blood. I was made to be a priest and we don't touch dead things. <laughs> and I said, so I've never been willing to declare that, though I know it is part of my identity. Well, in the, in the passionate, loving heart of the Father, he had a guy there that night. He said, you know, John, when I was coming here tonight, I've, God gave me this passage of Scripture, and, and, and I didn't really understand why, and I didn't understand um, who it was for, but now I understand why and who it was for. And he opened his Bible to Luke chapter 1. And I've read Luke chapter 1 gazillions of times, because the Christmas story starts in Luke chapter 1. He read me a portion of John chapter 1 that I had never recalled ever hearing in my entire life. I'm sure I did, but it never registered in my thick skull. 
And it is the angel speaking to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and telling Zechariah, this is who your son is, is. This is your son's identity. Now listen, here's what it says. He says, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. All of a sudden, it began to dawn on me, I don't have to be insecure about how you receive me today because I'm already great in the sight of my Father. Does anybody else get that besides me? That little line changed my understanding of my identity and I've been running around the world for three years teaching this. And then, and then it, 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 it says, and, um, and for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, of which I don't do either. Um, he will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. I became a follower of Jesus Christ when I was four years old. I, I prayed to receive Jesus as my Savior when I was four years old. I baptized when I was four years old. I was so small, they had to hold me up in the baptistry and just dip me down and bring me back up because I was too short for the baptistry. And not one time in my entire life have I ever had a desire to pray the sinner's prayer again or to be baptized over again. It was so real to me because I know the calling that was there on my life. To see that just takes who I am and just moves me one more step closer. And then it goes on and, and it says um, um, uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. The same anointing as Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So I got up on Sunday morning four weeks ago today and I wrote um, this. As a beloved man of God who is seen as great in the sight of my father, I have been raised up to prepare the hearts of the bride for the bridegroom Jesus. With the curiosity of an explorer and the focus of a seer, in the same spirit as John the Baptist, I serve the kingdom of God as a seed planter. That's what I've been doing this morning, bringing you a brand new seed to plant into your lives. As a seed planter um, and prophet, persuading the bride church to return to their first love, motivating fathers to in tenderness return to their children, while wooing the hearts of the wayward back to wisdom. Meet John of the beloved family. I'm not trying to be the object. I'm trying to be the lesson this morning. So that you, the passion in you, will be awakened again. I call forth the passions that God put in you before time to move you forward, to seek, to run after the discovery of who you are. To throw off the weight that, of the labels that the world has already labeled you with. 
The first person I ever prophesied to was Galen's wife. And the, I still remember the prophecy. It was, you look like one of those old steamer trunks that people would stick the labels all over of everywhere they'd been. And I said, people have it stuck labels all over you. And the Lord just wants to peel them off so that who you really are will come not from what people say about you. Some of you, I just, he, 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 you're starting to stir something inside. That's passion. Passion to become who God says that you are. Have I helped anybody today in the Word? Have I awakened any of the Word? Um, I, I know this is not how usually you, you do things, but do you have any questions? Something that's in your heart or mind that you want to ask about this this morning? No questions? Do you know how to get started? Talk to somebody who's prophetic and say, what do you know about me? You can also start by, by saying, God, who did you make me to be? Would you tell me who you made me to be? But the desire is I'm not going to stop. Desire is I'm not going to stop until I find out who I am. Just quiet your hearts and and um, Father, would you release in a deeper way than ever the the gift of the prophetic in this house? That there become that there would be a coming of age for the prophets. A coming of age to read your heart so clearly and have a passion to draw others into the fullness of who you made them be to be. Let this church be robed in the garments of Joshua. Let the vision that they have be for themselves and for those that walk through the doors to immediately be able to come into the family of the beloved. I pray for those that you have, that you are in fact sending their way who believe that you died for their sin but do not yet believe that they are or can be adopted. I ask that Right now, in this moment before we break up, that you would even change our language. That we would begin to speak of what is yet ahead, not what is behind. That we would see the promises that are on people rather than the bondages that have identified them. I ask God that you would just um, uh, change the balance of truth in this church so that fault finding would no longer be an exercise in any of our lives. But hope would be the message 
of our hearts. I pray over the leadership of the church this morning. On that behalf, I just lay hands on, on pastors. That even this morning, there'd be a renewing unto the new thing. That, that what they have hoped for would, as of this morning, become a growing reality in their lives and the lives of each one under the leadership of this church. Father, you're, you're going about just like you met me in the shower because you were there saying, I wonder if my son is willing to do this. I wonder if my son will be willing to receive my word. So have you come to the right church today? I, I say yes. I proclaim yes over this people. Open the eyes of their heart. Not just for themselves, but for those of the family who have yet come. For the prodigals that we sang about earlier. Change their view of themselves. I rebuke the language of, of your people Israel who stood outside of the promised land and said, we can't go in there because we are but grasshoppers in our own eyes. I rebuke that kind of language that we speak over ourselves. I am not worthy. I am not good enough. I am not acceptable enough. There is no place, Father, that your love is not big enough to reach because you can redeem anything. I give you praise today. I bless this house. If my language or my words or my um, um, silence has, has, has planted a seed in somebody that the enemy can begin to use to keep them where they are, we actually just remove my words or, or my thoughts or my ideas or, or my silence. Your love is so amazing. Your grace is so without end. You do greater things than we can ask, think, or imagine. And we are sons and daughters in your family. I pray especially for, for those that are from 12 to 20. What an incredible calling you're putting on their lives this morning to stand out and to transform a generation. We bless them. We pray that that, that passion would be restored to our lives. Father, that, that the, uh, the, it, 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 it's, it's a grievous thing that we've done to allow the, the enemy to steal our passion. We ask that you would restore it to us.
We've never believed before that yielding to that 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 um, um, that 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 um, yielding to temptation is better than absence of passion. But because you love us by able to redeem anything, we're asking for our passion back. We say to the enemy, restore to us the passion that you have stolen. Restore to us the passion that you have stolen. For every man and every woman in this room that their passions have been abused or have been abusive. We ask you'd still restore them. Because being a passionate son or daughter is better than managing our own flesh through the loss of our passion. Do this work among us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I bless you today. I bless you today. Walk in the discovery of who you are in the Father's heart. And I bless you with that, Pastor.